God says this, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. Still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Father, we are not worthy to be in your presence. For when Adam and Eve took that fruit and they ate it, they disobeyed and sin forever broke your creation. And here I stand, a man completely unworthy to even handle the words that you have given to us. Here we sit, a people, sinful, broken. But because of what happened on this day, God, you have taken our sins and you have washed them clean and you have made us just as if we had never sinned because of your blood because of your body. And you say in this book that one day we will forever dwell with you in your Father's house and that you're there right now preparing a place for us, Father. We thank you, God. Things will never be the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I found myself preparing for this morning, trying to think of Easter in a different light. And it's a holiday that that comes every year. It's something that we as Christians, we celebrate all the time. And so as I'm praying through what the Lord wants me to say, as I'm trying to get a fresh perspective, I started to think about a perspective on this holiday, on this day, on this event that I'd never paid much attention to. The perspective that, that we always look at but we can quickly miss, and that's the perspective of what Easter must have looked like from the eyes of the disciples. Because I'll be very honest with you, on the very first Easter Sunday, the last thing that anybody expected was a resurrection. We think of Easter as this time to rejoice and to be excited, and that it is. But the first Easter did not start with bells, whistles, music, laughter, and joy. As a matter of fact, the very first Easter Sunday was a moment where all hope was gone. The joy of the Lord was not in this place. Because the disciples 
awoke, believing that the man they had walked with, this Savior they have bled with, that they served with, they've seen him raise the dead, they saw him just two days ago take his final breath on the cross. They saw the scars that the nails put in his hands. They saw the scar in his side. And they knew that when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Their Savior was dead. Everything is changed. Can you imagine the emotions that they must have felt? They poured all their belief in this man. And he is now dead. It's Friday, and they had no idea how much Sunday was coming. Jesus told them over and over again, I'm going to tear down the temple. I'm going to rebuild it in three days. They're going to kill me, but death can't touch me because the love I have for you, I'm going to pour out my blood. I'm going to have my body broken for you in hell and death, and nothing can keep that down. They saw Jesus calm the storm. They watched Razzlus lock out from being dead. But there was one key ingredient in all that stuff, that Jesus was there. And now he is dead. And who is going to resurrect him? Because our Savior is dead. The Word of God tells us that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. And I'm here to tell you, when the disciples saw their Jesus taken and arrested, they had an inkling of courage for about two seconds. And then after that, they fled for their life and they became cowards. It's very easy for us to sit here and pass judgment knowing the end of the story. They thought they were dead. They thought they were going to be crucified and killed. And so they ran and they denied and they sinned. Peter himself, the guy that Christ said, I'm going to build the church on you, denied Christ to his face just as he said he would. Easter Sunday, the first one, was a terrible day. On Friday... The sun was coming down and there was a Pharisee by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. They weren't all on the same page, people. For he loved Jesus. He knew that the Sabbath was coming. So he went to Pilate and he pleaded with Pilate. He said, will you please give me his body before the sun goes down because I I need to take care of this properly. I want to seal the tomb. Sabbath is coming and I need to do this. Pilate looked at Joseph and said, he's already dead? And he asked his soldiers, he said, is this true? And they said, yeah, he's gone. So Pilate handed the body of the once Savior to to, to Joseph. And Joseph took and, and he buried Jesus. And Pilate, knowing the political nightmare that he was in, said, I don't want anybody messing with this body. I'm going to put a Roman seal on the tomb. I want you to roll a humongous rock in front of that thing. And and, and I want to post guards. I don't want the disciples. I don't want the Jews. I don't want anybody messing with this thing. And let me tell you something. The Romans did not mess around. If you broke the law, you paid. If you broke a Roman seal, let me tell you, some hurt was coming your way. They took serious this burial of Jesus. The Sabbath came. And I can't begin to tell you the hopelessness 
must have been. Jesus was dead. Imagine you've walked with this man and seen this. We find ourselves now in the book of Mark in chapter 16. And I love the way Sunday comes. Because Jesus loves to take a broken thing and turn it into something beautiful. On Friday and on Saturday, the disciples in their hearts, the ladies who were there in their hearts, are surely saying to themselves, things will never, ever be the same. Things will never be right again. This was supposed to be different. This wasn't supposed to go down like this. Jesus said he would, he would live and he was going to take us to his father's house and now he's dead. And so these ladies, Mary and Mary, they decided they were going to go down and they were going to anoint Jesus' body. Let me read to you from the scriptures from Mark 16. It says this, that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb and then they looked at each other and they said, who's going to roll away the rock? Have you ever had one of those moments when you did not think your despair could get any more? When when you've just had it and, and nothing else could go wrong and all of a sudden there you are. You're walking to your friend's tomb. You want to put flowers down or you want to, as Mary and Mary were doing, they wanted to anoint Jesus' body. And as they're walking, they have this holy crud moment. Who's going to move the rock? I just can imagine that that's the straw that breaks the camel's back and these women are just defeated and they're standing there. And now they can't even get to the body of Jesus. It was not supposed to be like this. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. What happened was, other Gospels will tell us this, that there was guards at the tomb, and angels from heaven came down as an earthquake shook the ground and moved the rock Let me tell you something about a Roman soldier. There is two things that they do not do. They do not faint in fear, and they do not retreat. I believe it was the Romans that used to say, burn the boats when they would invade somewhere. That way there was no way to go anywhere else but to victory. And so here at the tomb, when Mary and Mary get there, they find the most peculiar sight, because there, the stone has been moved. You've got two guards laying out cold, fainted in fear. These were hardened, weathered soldiers placed by the commanding governor of the region. They knew that abandoning their post meant death and they're out cold. I'm sure Mary's in this moment are going, oh great, now what? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side. And I love how plainly the Bible says this. And they were alarmed. No kidding, they were alarmed. They're coming down to find Jesus, their Savior, dead. They're coming down to see the linens and to have this emotional moment. They're they're breaking down because they can't move the rock. And all of a sudden, the rock is there. And then there's just this dude sitting at the tomb, 
saying Jesus is not here. He looks at Mary and Mary. He says, Christ is risen. He is not here. Do you think Mary and Mary were alarmed? They went from things will never be the same to things are never going to be the same. In that moment, I'm sure they just didn't know what to do. The angel says to them, this is what I want you to do. Don't be alarmed. Right. Thanks, bud. Go and tell the disciples what you have seen and Peter. See, Peter, when Jesus was handed over into suffering, Jesus said, you will deny me this night because they were arguing over, I would never betray you, Lord. I would never flee. They all did. But Peter specifically, he locked eyes with Christ and denied our Lord and Savior. Peter was carrying a scar of betrayal and I guarantee you it weighed heavily on Peter's mind that as his friend was dying, one of the last things he heard from his disciples was, I do not know that man. And Peter, losing his friend in his mind, has to live with this. Disgrace. The angel says to Mary, bring the disciples, and Peter, calling him by name. I love the way the book of John talks about it because it says the disciple who beat Peter to the temple, or to the, to the tomb, it was John, his own book. As soon as the disciples heard, Peter and John had a foot race. They ran to the tomb to see if what was being reported was true. And I'm sure that there was this awesome moment of laughter and joy because Jesus had told them from the get-go that I will die, I will rise, I will take you with me, I will go beside my Father and prepare a place, and if you believe in me, I will take you with me. All of these things, like like this, this soliloquy in their mind of all the things that Jesus said just comes rushing back to them. And they get it. They're finally starting to come to the realization that yes, Jesus calmed the storm, but Jesus also can't be contained. So death can't keep him down. So they're excited. They're emotional. And and they just don't know what else to do. So they go off to gather their buddies together, the disciples. They're going to kind of throw together this this next supper instead of the last supper. And they're going to get together and they're going to talk about what they do now because obviously something's going on with Jesus. Jesus. They leave, and there's Mary, who has just had, I can't even begin to tell you, the most roller coaster of emotional day that one could ever imagine, standing at the entrance of the temple, and she just weeps. In this moment, we think, well, she saw an angel So surely she believes. But I'm here to tell you, in this moment, as Mary's standing there weeping, she is baffled at what's actually going on. She's so focused on her hurt and her pain that she's failing to see what's really happening. And as she's standing there, she peeks her head in and she sees the angel standing there and she says, please, can you just tell me what you have done with the body so I can take care of it? The angel says, woman, why are you crying? This is what she responds. Dejected and frustrated, thinking that this is not really happening, Mary turns around to walk out, and she sees a man who she thinks is the gardener or the caretaker of the cemetery. 
And she pleads with this man, and she says, Oh, sir, I I just can't bear it anymore. Will you not tell me what you have done with his body? Let this come to an end. And in this moment of absolute despair, distress, doubt, and fear, Mary wanted to believe in her heart of heart that Jesus had risen from the dead. She needed help. And in this moment, as she thinks she's talking to a gardener, the man she is actually speaking to is the resurrected king. And in this moment, he could have scolded her. He could have said, Mary of little faith, how dare you? He could have got and and belittled her. But he does something that is so the style of Jesus, and this is why I love him. He simply utters her name in a whisper. In her moment of despair, a moment of no hope, Jesus says this word, Mary. And as she has heard him say her name so many times, it was as if all of eternity peeled back. And there before her was Rabbanai, teacher. She sees her Savior standing there in the moment when she needed hope the most, in that moment that seemed darker than every other moment, Jesus showed up and He called her by name. And she goes to grab Him. And I love Jesus and the way He rolls because the next thing out of His mouth is, woman, don't touch me. He says, woman, don't touch me, for I have not gone back to the Father yet. But go tell the disciples to get ready because Sunday's here. I'm going to go to Galilee. I'll meet you guys there. And so Mary goes and she tells the disciples. The disciples get together and and, and they are fearful for their life. They're terrified that the people are still going to try to kill them. So they get together and everybody can make it but Thomas. There's always somebody that can't make it to the party, right? And so Thomas is like, I can't be there. I got stuff going on. I don't believe this is going on. And so the disciples get together, fearful for their life. They find a room where they can have dinner together. And they're going to talk about the theological ramifications of what's going on this day. No way. They're getting together to just simply talk about, is this true? They lock the room. They batten down the hatches because they didn't want anybody to get in. Because in their minds, they're wanted criminals. Fugitives of the dead king of the Jews. And as they're in this room discussing and talking about the possibility that Sunday is good, in the corner of the room appears a man. It's Jesus. They're amazed because the room's locked. Jesus just walked through a wall or did something, but he's here. He's alive. He's risen. He shows up and he says, guys, I'm still here. The Bible tells us that in this moment, Jesus described to his disciples everything that went on over this little Easter holiday, this weekend. It says that he showed them his scars because that's what guys do when we get together. We say, check out my scars. But these scars are different. Jesus has them put their hands in the scars. He shows them the the, the side. He shows them where the crown of thorns was. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is bearing these scars. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples. Because the last time you saw these scars, these were the scars that took your Savior. These were the scars that were condemning you to death on that cross. And now, here we are on Sunday night, 
Total roller coaster. I can't believe we're here. These scars that I thought ruined my life are in fact the scars that are saving my life. And as a pastor, I read the scriptures and I know that one day, as a believer in Jesus, I will have the privilege of being resurrected with him into heaven. And my body will be made perfect. I will be made whole. But something that baffles me about Easter is the scars that Jesus sustained on the cross still remain after he's resurrected. And as I study the scriptures, the only explanation I can find for that is that one day, when the disciples, when you and me, when we're resurrected, we will not have scars. Our sins will have been washed clean. All the brokenness, all the junk that pours into our life, all of that will no longer be Because those scars that Jesus earned on the cross still remain. Because those are your scars. Those are my scars. Those are the disciples' scars. Those scars will last for eternity so that my scars do not have to. Amen. Jesus died so that we could be free from the bondage of sin. In a beautiful moment, he gets together with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? I mean, Peter betrayed Jesus to his face. If anybody has ever outsinned the love of God, it's this rock. But Jesus calls him, and he personally calls him by name. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know I do. We've all had that moment where we've messed up, and we've had to ask for forgiveness of somebody, but never the Son of God. And he says, Lord, I love you. And in a gracious manner, he reinstates Peter. He forgave his sin. The scars on his hands, on his feet, and in his side are Peter's, are yours, are mine. Jesus willingly gave himself up on the cross so that we could be free. Death can't keep that down. There is no victory over that kind of God. Many other Messiah movements have come through the Roman Empire. Many other people came through claiming to be the Savior, claiming to be the person that was going to make it right. They were all killed, and none of them rose from the dead. But Jesus is alive today and is preparing a place for you and for me beside His Father in His Father's house. He tells us in the Word of God that all we have to do is confess our sins. We have to actually ask Him, Jesus, will you take the junk in my life? I don't know about you. I want rid of this stuff in my life. I can't do this life on my own. The weight of sin, the weight of this world is too heavy for me. And I've got a Savior, a guy who rose from the dead, who's saying, let me have it. How foolish is it for us to hold on to that stuff? but yet we do it every day. Jesus is saying, give me that. I want that. Give me that. That is my burden to bear. You're trying to do it on your own. Don't do it on your own. I can set you free. And silly, like a silly person, we, we cling to the junk in our lives. 
thinking that there's no hope. I'm here to tell you this morning, because of what happened on this gruesome device, there's hope. There is hope. Jesus loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He reinstated Peter. And those scars that that looked like they were the end of the world are the scars that saved. Where are you at this morning? Are you still weeping at the tomb, missing the fact that Jesus is right there, calling your name, ready to embrace you when he gets back to the Father? Are you standing outside doubting, not wanting to go to the party with the disciples to worship a living God? Maybe no one's ever told you that you don't have to go through this life alone. Maybe nobody's ever told you that we have a Savior that can set you free from your addictions, from the things that are going wrong in your life, from the struggles in your marriage. Jesus died on the cross so that you didn't have to bear that on your own. Stop doing it. You will fail. Only Christ can set you free. Only Christ can set you free. Friday was terrible. And Sunday is here. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. You know, the disciples, when the shepherd was struck, they scattered. And I'm here to tell you right now, something changed in that group of guys. They saw something from Friday to Sunday that caused each one of them to to give up their life for God, dying terrible deaths. Some of them were even crucified like Christ. Peter was crucified upside down because he he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that you crucified my Christ. So they crucified him upside down. Where does a man who runs and flees at the sight of a mouse all of a sudden be courageous as a lion? Does something happen to these guys? Something changed these guys that made them the courageous, self-sacrificing lovers of Jesus that they became. And I'm going to tell you what that thing was. They had an experience with God that was alive and real, and they recognized that the scars in his hands, in his feet, and in his side were there to liberate and to free them. These cowards became courageous lions because they knew things will never, ever be the same. Father, we love you. We thank you for dying on the cross. You paid for the sins that you did not have to pay for. At any moment, you could have stopped it, but you willingly gave your life over for the forgiveness of my sins, for the forgiveness of my brokenness and junk. And one day, God, I'll get to dwell with you in the house of the Lord. I'm not worthy of that. We are not worthy. But we thank you, God, for being a a God of grace and mercy who loves us as much now as you ever will. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't sin our way out of it. But God, your word tells us if we confess you as our Lord and Savior here, that you will acknowledge us before your Father. Things are never going to be the same, Jesus. And I thank you for that. You are good.